going on, guys? <laughs> Mike, Joe, here with Keith, Build Assets Online. Welcome to the show. Today, we have a very, very special guest, one of our students, Keith. So welcome on the show, Keith. How you doing? Good, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Where are you living, sir? Uh, Massachusetts, Great Northeast. Oh, wow. Really? I did not expect you to be from the Northeast. I am. Not too far from you guys. That's right. I, I thought you were from like Texas or something. That's what I would have guessed. Too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would have said it like an Oklahoma boy or something. No, Massachusetts born and raised. Nice. Nice. We always love having New Englanders on the show. You know, we got good clam chowder. But <laughs> yeah, more importantly, more importantly, we're here to talk about, you know, your experience going through the dropshipping course is going through dropshipping in general. Uh, as the title of the show entails, you've been able to reach six figures on your store in a pretty short amount of time. So definitely want to get into that and uh, just talk more about kind of, you know, your world leading up to this point. So why don't you take us through a little bit of uh, background about yourself and, you know, how you wound up finding dropshipping, finding build assets online. Yeah, no, no problem at all. So, I mean, you know, I've worked in the corporate world for close to 20 years at this point. I still work in the corporate world. Um, last year, my wife and I were expecting a new baby. And um, I was just starting to research some ways to put some extra shekels in the family's pocket. So, um, you know, last year and probably May of 22, I started with Kindle Publishing. And I got a few books up on Kindle publishing and, uh, you know, it spits off a little bit of money here and there. Um, you know, nothing that you can uh, retire on, that's for sure. But just kind of in that process, I had continued to look at different YouTube videos, doing research, all that good stuff. And then I came across you guys and um, I don't know, your content resonated with me. I thought you seemed like normal guys that were pretty down to earth, that were straight shooters. You weren't like overly slick marketers or anything like that. So I started watching more. And then towards the end of the year, um, you know, I decided to go ahead and, and buy the course. And my goal with the course was really to just, you know, make my money back as soon as possible. And then everything else after that was gravy. It was just going to be a learning experience for me for the most part. So uh, I bought the course, I think, you know, like late December of last year and then hit the ground running in January of this year, you know, building everything out. And I'm not a super technical guy by any means. Uh, I don't know a, a lick of code. Um, so I just followed the course literally step by step by step to the almost to a fault probably where it's like sometimes you just got to step back and think for yourself for a little bit, but I just wanted to like follow the steps and get to the point where I could get the site live and start taking sales as soon as possible. So that took probably six weeks, you know, really starting um, in early January. And for me, like working, you know, full time in the corporate world, I, I only had maybe two to three hours a day to work on this, like after my kids went to bed. So it was just like, Monday through Friday from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Like that's all that I worked on just to, to get it live. And then I took my first sale on February 17th and it started slow for a little while. Um, you know, scheduled a bunch of calls with you, Mike, 
Google ads were confusing as hell to me. Uh, so I appreciate all the help uh, along the way, uh, but kind of finally got those dialed in. And then I think April I did, you know, March was maybe 10 grand or so. April was 20 something grand. And then in May we did close to 70,000. Uh, and when we've been up over 30,000 every month since. Um, so yeah, just from, you know, enjoying the ride, made my money back on the course tenfold. So couldn't be happier about that. And, um, you know, now at this point, I mean, you can, you can really do it without a tremendous amount of the work that went into kind of getting it off the ground. So been, you know, enjoying it ever since. Yeah. Getting it off the ground is really where the bulk of the, uh, the hustle lies with, with this business model. Well, like I said, it's pretty incredible that corporate job plus kid and still kid. to make it work. Um, I mean, that's, that's even impressive like to me. So congrats, congratulations on that. I think it goes to show that, you know, you don't need to just quit everything and drop everything to, to make this business model work. What is your, position in the corporate world and do you think that that helped i think it probably helped with conversations with suppliers um you know i'm a regional sales director in the corporate world so you know i have lots of different conversations with distributors and suppliers day in and day out so that certainly helped um but like not in this industry at all like a completely new industry um right but you know, just kind of use Google as my guide. When I first started researching suppliers, I just started looking at industry associations and I found like all of the different corporate suppliers uh, or corporate sponsors of those industry associations. And then I started just going onto websites and hunting down emails and firing off yeah. cold emails and cold calling. Uh, yeah. What do you mean by that? On board. Sorry. You talked about industry sponsors. Is that what you just said? Yeah, like, you know, whatever niche that you're in, like, so for my niche, I just put in the Google machine niche, um, you know, industry associations, right? And then there happened to be this one site that had, like, a list of 50 companies that would be great suppliers for the niche that I was going after. So it was just like, I I got lucky when I found that, because that's where the bulk of my original suppliers came from. And some of them were like ancillary products that weren't even on my radar when I first got started. Very interesting. Nice. So a little, little creativity uh, working in your favor there, which is good, which is good to see. I think a lot of people, when they invest in a course, I, you know, that phrase, Oh, they expected the product to mow the lawn for them and whatever, do all this stuff. And I feel like the people that have the most success, um, they're kind of always willing to adapt to their environment and find, you know, because every niche is going to be different. Every site's going to be different. And those that are willing to adapt to their environment, figure out what's going on and take advantage and do some things outside the box always seem to have the best success, I think. Well, it, it is interesting that that's what you did to find suppliers because, um, you know, when we first talked and I first saw what you were doing, 
it's not something I haven't seen before, but you did have a particular product uh, and supplier that I have not seen other people get before. So immediately when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, this is great because the, the pitfalls that people go through, and this is why in the course we try to do things like, you know, go over the shoulder and, and we find a whole bunch of products and we do that even live here a lot just to show people how to get a little bit creative when it comes to finding products and then therefore finding suppliers. And so with you, the first time we spoke, I saw you had a more outside the box supplier that I've seen than I've seen. And a lot of times that does have a huge correlation to success mm -hmm. because it, it really only takes one good supplier to catapult you to becoming profitable. And then you start making, you know, a, a good return on your money. And then everything from there snowballs. The problem a lot of other people go through is everybody is just getting the same base level suppliers. And you're just competing with everybody else. The margins suck. The CPCs suck. It's just harder to sell stuff. And people kind of flounder around until they find that one good supplier that kind of catapults them to the next level. So, yeah, good. Yeah, good I, I, I yeah. use that supplier and the success with that supplier to go after other suppliers that turned me down originally. Because I, you know, I, I made the argument that, look, I'm making sales to these types of customers. It's called a niche lifestyle. And wouldn't it be great to be able to remarket to these customers because your product fits really well with their niche lifestyle. And I had people that said, you know what, I, I think you're right. Let's give it a go. When they had orig originally turned me down when I just cold emailed when I was first getting started. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good to hear you went back so quickly. Like sometimes people will wait a long time. But yeah, it really is uh, a game of momentum. And you were able to get that momentum very quickly and and harness it because like I said, I mean, just because, you know, let's say you start out and you don't have a bunch of great suppliers. It's not that you can't get sales. It's just that you have to slowly work and then get more sales and then get a better supplier leveraging the sales you got with the other other suppliers and take it from there. So, um, yeah. And also, I think, you know, the the products you sell have a bit of seasonality, as do many, many products. And you, I don't want to say luckily, but you were able to get in at a time where things were kind of going on the upswing and, uh, so you can, get some I timed there. it perfectly. Like it, that definitely <laughs> worked out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So I guess, um, you know, what, are, what are your plans now, now that, you know, you got the job still, you got the kids running around, you got the store making some side income. What do you see happening in the future? You know, um, and, and on that point of seasonality, I mean, I'm already thinking of how I can double down on that knowledge now for next year um, as we kind of come down from the season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, my, my plan is to just continue to grow this store as big as I can possibly get it. Uh, I brought on a couple of new suppliers over the past two, three weeks. So I'm constantly on the lookout for, for good suppliers. Um, you know, what I've been trying to hunt down some more of is suppliers that sell things only through distribution networks 
and not themselves. Because um, mm-hmm. you can certainly see a correlation between your sales with suppliers that don't sell direct to consumer, you know? So been on the lookout for those, but yeah, really just trying to figure out, you know, new products that would fit well into the mix products that I can remarket to current customers that have already bought. You know, I've probably got a, a couple thousand names on the email list now. So it's, you know, we'll really? to them knowing what I know about them uh, from being customers, customers of mine. So yeah, just your email list is that big already. What's that? Your email list is that big already? Yeah, I've, I've had a, you know, a decent amount of opt-ins from our pop-up form, which is, you know, save X percent um, for a discount code. So yeah, it's, it's, it's right around a couple thousand. That's interesting to have that many in such a short amount of time. How much are you spending on ads nowadays? About 1500 a month. You're about to take a look at your opt-in because that's, <laughs> there, that's there's a lot. It's <laughs> not. I mean, it's a simple opt-in. There's nothing too crazy about it. No. Um, Sometimes it's the most simple ones that are the most effective. But yeah, yeah, to get, to get a few thousand people on your list that quickly. I don't know. That, I feel like in our it does, it does have kind of a clever pun and tagline on it. Thanks. Thanks. Maybe, maybe that's what's making. <laughs> maybe that's it's all my you know. my copy there. Do you know? Do you know what your opt-in percentage is? I don't actually know. I'll have to take a look at that. Okay. Yeah, because that's. If only what, everyone that opted in became a customer. Of course, of course, but I feel like in our, you know, the beginning stages of our stores, it took quite a while to get to the first couple thousand in emails. But there really is a point. I'd say around maybe three thousand, uh, certainly five thousand, where you can start emailing the list more and more and you actually start to see results. Like, Mm. um, yeah, now that we've been able to have stores, like one of the stores we sold had like a 20,000 person list. Um, we have another one that has like a 10,000 person list. So once you're able to actually have a big audience to email to, it is crazy. Like you can just email and and print money. And a lot of times, you know, you can kind of send the same email over and over. Mm -hmm. I look at, um, like if you subscribe to Walmart or any other big box store and you look at what they do in as far as email marketing, it is just kind of like the old days of, you know, you'd get a catalog in and you look through the catalog and basically they just kind of do that in email form, you know? And um, I like using privy a lot more now for email blasts versus Klaviyo. Um, Cause privy, I, I find it super simple to make like those catalog looking, emails with the products and you can just link directly to the products, but yeah, I digress. I've liked it. So, um, you said you were doing Kindle before this. Is that how you wound up finding us? I think so. Yeah. Very interesting. Were you doing like fiction, nonfiction? Uh, kids books. Oh, wow. My very first book on Kindle was, a. a kid's book. It was called A for Albatross. And it was just using like uh like stock photos of like animals and stuff. And it was like the alphabet with animals. Yeah. S- similar. Um and my, my wife is 
uh, in the school system. So she, she wrote the books and I just outsourced the illustrations of them and uh, uploaded them and, you know, ran some minimal ads to, uh, to, to drive some sales. Were you following any sort of course or it was just an idea that you had and then you went and did it? Yeah, it was, um, I think it was Jay Boyer's course. I forget what it's called. It was like, of course, it was like a familiar, but... um, I think I found him on Anik Singal's Entrepreneur Podcast. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he made it sound like it was the easiest thing in the world. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was easy. Like, did you did you wind up making? I don't know. Like, was it worth it? Do you feel or or no? Um, I think it would have been worth it had I just kept putting out more books, kept putting out more books, kept putting out more books. But I just kind of got tired of it, uh, and it just didn't. It wasn't super interesting to me. You know, so I just kind of lost interest yeah. in it, but got a couple of books live now. You know, they spit off a few sales uh, every month. You know, during the holidays, it probably, you know, I think December I made five, six hundred bucks, something like that. So I'm not going to turn it sneeze down. At. Yeah. Nothing to sneeze at. No. Um, did it, did it kind funny. of open up your mind to the possibility of you can make money on your own on the internet without? being a huge corporation so. or whatever. I think so. Yeah, a a absolutely. You know, you get yeah, that yeah. first year, like you wake up and it happened overnight. Like that's kind of what I was in search of. It's like, I just wanted to wake up and have money in the bank account that I didn't have to work for that day. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I mean, Kindle definitely gives you that. Yeah. It's nothing better than just refreshing the Kindle dashboard over and over and over. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the, peak experience in my life like for the drop shipping like I, I think it's so cool you know i've made sales that were twelve thousand dollars and all it took to close that sale was a 10 minute phone call you know yeah and i just made two grand or, or, or somewhere around there uh for a 10 minute phone call i thought i thought that was the coolest thing in the world now when you're at work or when you're working do you have someone handling the phone calls and the live chats or do you get back to people later? I'll get back to people later. Um, you know, sometimes I'm on the road. I can take a call in the car. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm not tied up, I'll, I'll take a quick call. Um, but a lot of times I will get back to people. And, you know, they're, they're big purchases. So people are typically shopping around. They have some questions. They're thankful that I call, that I call them back. Uh, you know, follow up with emails, things that they've been asking about. And, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people that I end up on the phone with end up making a purchase, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to call a place and hear, you know, a, a native speaker on the phone and somebody who's knowledgeable about the products. And, um, yeah. you know, we can, we can get to the knowledge part of that too, because that is, um, something we get asked about a lot as far as like, how do you know how to, what you're selling and, you know, those types of things. But. Let's get to some of these chats real quick. We got game control says something. I don't know what it is. We got carpet muncher. What's up, fellas? What's up, man? Uh, Todd, he said 176k profit. I don't think so. I think it's you know it's just revenue. So 
hundred percent profit would be good, but but we did talk about your profit a little bit, which has been around fifteen percent, right? Yeah, fifteen percent margins after ad spend. Right. So that goes towards uh CRN question. What's the margin for these stores? Typically, yeah, I mean so typically, wait, sorry, what? so you've been made an made an average of because this will help us answer the question around 4.4k a month um, in the past six months, then since you started your store, correct. Which, I mean, that's really nothing to sneeze at for your first six months, especially considering the uh, the potential sale value of that. How that average is out. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. There. Yeah, I'm not mad about it. Well, yeah, what I was gonna say is, a lot of times with the, with the products themselves, you know, you see average margin. 20%, 30% is ideal. And then you, after you factor in ad spend, um, depending on how well you run the ads, you know, you can wind up with 10%, 15%, even 20% if you really uh, got SEO down, you know what you're doing. And um, it was interesting, Keith. I think the first time I looked at your account, you had one of the highest returns on ad spend I'd seen in a long time and you were not even doing things like all the way. Correct. That is true. <laughs> Took some tweaking, Mike. Some yeah. Tweaking. Well, yeah. I mean, that was basically the conversation we had, right? Like I was like, I don't want to tell you what you're doing is wrong because it's getting, it's, you know, you're making a good amount of money off of it. But as you start to scale it up and spend more in the hopes of making higher revenue back, you have to fix a lot of things. And um, I mean, I guess, so you, you fix those things, you were able to spend more money and then in turn get more revenue back. Is that right? Like, did you, did you find that, you know, going from, especially like the, the peak seasonality, did you find that, let's say you were spending 1500 a month in ads, going to 3000 a month in ads during that time? got you a higher revenue? Uh, you understand um, that question? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. 1500 is is the most that I've spent in a given month. Because when I first started, I forget what I was doing, but it was probably less than half of that. Maybe it was like 500 a month. And that was still generating some decent sales. And then and then I, I bumped it up and, and had some good months there. So... I've been hesitant to do it um, given the seasonality, but you know, next season I'll, I'll probably you know double down and, and spend a lot more than fifteen hundred. So, so you're right. You're, you're going to have to have things dialed in. Um, kind of my point was like, well, yeah, let's say you were spending five hundred a month, and then you're getting X amount of revenue back. Yeah, a lot of people may not fully understand or like understand how important it is is to get from 500 a month in ad spend to 1500 a month and doing that the right way, spending money in the right areas. And that's, what's going to build a bigger and bigger foundation for your store as the months go along. Because like you said, you've done ever since the last few months, you've done 30,000 in revenue every single month. Right. Yeah. And that's because you've been able to get your ad spend up to a certain point. Yeah. If you were, with your ad spend at 500, 7,500 or 750, 
then you probably wouldn't be hitting those revenue numbers. Like the sure. correlation between ad spend and revenue with the stores is it's a, it's a very uh, tight correlation. Yeah, I, I think you have to pay attention to, you know, where are you spending and where are you driving the most traffic? Because, you know, we've talked about this on multiple occasions, but, you know, certain products are a lot more profitable than others. And if your ads are set up so that they're taking money and spending a lot on less profitable products or, you know, products that don't convert nearly as well, like you're just shortchanging yourself big time because you could be spending so much more on those products that have high margins that convert well. So I, I mean, that's something I'm regularly looking at and I know you were helping me look at when we were going through all of our calls. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't realize when you actually dig into their account, the product, like you could have $2,000 margin on a product and it's sold for you previously, but you're not even spending on it. Yep. And it's like, what do you, you know, people don't realize that they're doing that a lot of the times. So the key to kind of getting your revenue up each and every month is to actually focus on where your money is going and then slowly get more and more money um, spent in the account towards those products. So M said, how's everyone doing? We're doing good. And if anyone listening has any more questions for uh, Keith or us, then just, just chat them along the way. Waylon asks, has he looked into doing Kindle the way you guys teach? I have not, Waylon. <laughs> I mean, I'll take, I'll take a peek. It's funny. I mean, we don't really like talk about Kindle anymore because we sold the business. We don't really take part in it. Yeah. But um, there's someone in our, our land group that, you know, they, they joined and I was talking with them a couple months ago and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I started, I bought the Kindle course like a while back and he was just making a boatload of money. And just didn't even say anything. Just didn't, and you know, two years go by, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've been doing this course. It's great." Yeah. So, I don't uh, know if you, I don't know if you noticed this, but I was looking at um, your your rank, your Google rankings, and your homepage ranks for like a, a generic keyword, which is interesting. So, did like, I, did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, so, so say, say your website was like, um, we sell widgets.com. Yeah. Your home your homepage ranks number three for the word widgets. Interesting. I'll take it. I wonder if you've ever actually made a sale from that. I have to. How, how would I figure that out, Joe? Uh, it's pretty, it's kind of difficult. Like you can, well, you wouldn't actually know really because, well, so you'd have to look in Shopify and see if someone first click, well, first you first clicked to your homepage and it wasn't a Google ad, but then again, it could have just been, they were searching for, you don't really know what keyword they were searching for. It'd be right. pretty, it would be pretty hard to tell. And, um, for those wondering about Google analytics and all that kind of stuff, I don't care about it. I was on the phone with a with a rep from Google and I was explaining to them how our GA4 revenue is like four times lower than our revenue in Shopify. 
And he's like, yeah, it's working. It's working properly. So after that, <laughs> after that, I was like, all right, I don't even care about tracking anymore. Like, you mean, you just got to kind of use, obviously you can track some of the ads, but, oh, you could track your ad, your ads, but you can't really track like your SEO keywords and what's converting for what. I think it's just way too hard. So how are you judging performance? Just looking at your overall sales. Yeah. And you could see in Shopify, like if someone hits a page first, like in your case, it would be hard to tell because it's, it's the home page. Yep. But if it was a different page, you can see, all right, they hit this page first and then they bought later or they bought <laughs> that day. So that's how you can get some sort of idea, but we don't really spend a lot of time tracking for it. Yeah. So before I start looking at more chats, I do want to get into the topic of phone sales a little bit. Um, I know you mentioned before, you know, you did a 10 minute phone call and, you know, you got a $12,000 sale. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it's something that we try to hammer home to people is like high ticket dropshipping for the beginner to online business is one of the highest ROI activities that you can do without having like an expert marketing background because you're able to sell these high ticket products. You don't have to make the products. You don't have to make sure that they're going to sell in the marketplace, et cetera. All you have to do is just get in with the supplier and then, you know, sell the product. So um, can you speak to how that was and, you know, taking phone sales and how you're able to do it without like, you know, having full training on the products and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to accept the fact that the first few times that you get on the phone with some customers, like there's going to be stuff that you don't know because there's there's no experience there, right? Like you don't know what questions those customers are going to ask. So I would run into, into that a lot when I first got started and you know, most people were pretty reasonable. I'd be like, you know what, I'm going to have to just double check on that with you. One of the terms or common uh, rebuttals I gave to people was, you know what, I've got to check with one of our product engineers, want to make sure I get the right information. Let me, um, you know, let me reach out to him and I'll circle back with you as soon as I possibly can. So I would just take a list of all their questions, then I would go figure it out and then I would call them back, answer all their questions and, and we were good to go. And then you do that four or five times, you know, a lot of the questions that you get are pretty common. A lot of the people are asking the same things, want to know the same things. So by the 20th call, I mean, you've answered them all. So they go pretty smoothly. And if you just ask a lot of questions, you know, what are you looking for? Why are you looking for it? Um, kind of what got you into this situation where you need help with this? Um, you know, the customers will tell you everything that they want to know. And, you know, you can just build your knowledge over time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the product knowledge comes pretty quick because people typically ask like the same 80% of questions. Absolutely. You know, you get some rare ones every now and again, but you did bring up a good point. Like with phone sales, it is very important just to ask them like what they're doing, kind of just learn more about their situation because number one, it builds trust. And they, they feel like they're being heard, like, you know, yeah. they, you, you understand them. And also you're able to isolate like what their actual question is, because sometimes people will ask something, but there's really a deep seated concern behind the question. Like, 
for example, if someone asks, how long will it take to get this, get this product? It's a classic one. You can answer that question directly, but if it's something that's not going to ship out right away, even if it is, I think it's more appropriate to respond and say, well, when do you need it? Mm -hmm. Because it could be a situation where they're going away for a month. They don't want it right now. And you can say, okay, well, you can order now. We'll hold it for you. That way it doesn't go out of stock. And, you know, you can proceed to the sale like that. Or if they need it right away and it's something that, you know, maybe takes a little bit to ship, you can explain, well, you know, this is how long it takes. Or maybe there's an expedited option or there's a way to address the concern. But if you don't, if you don't get to that concern and you just say, oh, the lead time is two weeks, then it's going to be, okay, thanks. And they're going to hang up and you're not going to get the sale. Totally. And in that scenario, you could be shortchanging yourself some revenue because I've had scenarios where I've inquired about how fast they need it, why they need it. And I said, you know what? I can look into expedited shipping for you. Are you going to be okay if there's an additional cost? Because all we offer is standard shipping in this time frame. And people have said, yeah, absolutely. So if I've got a quote from the freight broker and it's $300, I mean, technically you could mark it up $350 put an extra 50 bucks in your pocket and say, yeah, for expedited shipping and extra 350. I haven't done that. I'd just pass along that additional cost, mm -hmm. but um, you know, it can bump up the revenue numbers a little bit because some people will opt for expedited shipping. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like we're saying, it just helps the customer uh, feel heard that they know what, you know, you understand what their situation is and you're actually going to cater, uh, cater them. Yeah, it's that so. saying, um, what the heck is it? Uh, seek first to understand, then to be understood. <laughs> right? Yeah. And one yeah, thing exactly. that I will say, too, that's helped me a lot is whenever I have an abandoned checkout, I will call mm -hmm. those people the next day and I'll keep calling them uh, for as long as it takes to get a hold of them, essentially. And I've gotten a lot of people on the phone that way and I've, I've made some sales that way as well. So you'll keep calling them. How often do you find that, you know, the customer that doesn't answer the first day, maybe they pick up the third day, how likely are those to turn into customers for you? Uh, you know, honestly, the, the people that pick up the first time are the ones most likely to become a customer. Uh, right. This, I mean, there's people I've called, you know, left a few voicemails for that never get back to me. It just is what it is. But mm. I have noticed some of my abandoned checkouts that I've followed up with a phone call have turned into sales for sure. Yeah. I usually find that even following up that same day mm. is better because I think as time goes on, they, the likelihood of them answering or maybe they went somewhere else and bought or whatever. Um, it's just less likely they're going to buy. So like I find even, even an hour after they've abandoned or something like that, yep. it's easier because they're going to remember, um, you know, where they were shopping and kind of stuff like that. And yeah, I would think that like originally my skepticism was people are going to be angry that you call them and, you know, they feel like they're kind of being harassed a little bit, but it's really the opposite. A lot of times they wind up thanking you for calling because maybe they had some, you know, concern that they was they were trying to figure out and yeah, you're able to address that right then and there. They're the hottest lead possible. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to secure the sale at that point. Yeah. And it's, I, I typically call the next day cause I've noticed there's a lot of people that place orders at night 
And they're like, you know what? I had some questions, but it was 11 o'clock at night. I knew you guys weren't going to pick up the phone. So I just figured I'd get back to it kind of thing. So they yep. yeah, you're, you're thankful when you call them back because they had questions that they needed answers to. Yeah. Yeah. You can only be so in depth on your product page a lot of the time. Yep. Um, anything, it's great yeah. customer service. I mean, you don't see Wayfair calling you back because you had a question or Amazon calling you back because you had a question. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, if you live in America, one of the biggest annoyances I think in our everyday life is that a lot of the companies we interface, they all pretty much either outsource their customer service to places that like they don't speak full English. So, you know, for example, like health insurance, like, do you know how annoying it is to resolve something regarding to health insurance when you get someone that, that that's not a native English speaker on the other line? Or you get someone, even even if they are a native English speaker and they're from the States, they don't care about your case. They're just kind of going through the, the motions of whatever the screen in front of them says to do and then passing it on to the next department. But when you get an authentic callback or an authentic customer experience, it's... I mean, that's what I think people, people are yearning for that. That's what's missing. That's what's missing in their lives. <laughs> that's true. Absolutely. Good customer service is the great American way. I could go on about this for a long time, by the way. What else do you got to say? No. So my wife was trying to dispute like a health claim with, with the hospital, like, like a charge with the hospital because they were charging her full price for something like during pregnancy that she didn't need and they didn't tell her that the insurance wasn't going to cover it and that it wasn't going to be charged or that it was going to be charged full price or whatever. So she spends hours on the phone with horizon blue cross blue shield. And the final solution was because no one can help, but you have to write a letter to like the appeals department, like a physical letter and mail it because no one can give you like a coherent answer. And they send they send the bill to collections. It's just create. It's just absolutely insane. Yeah, you're right. They're just the the ridiculous amount of compartmentalization that goes on now in modern customer service. That's what's frustrating, right? But we're able to provide a boutique shopping experience, right? Because like someone hops on the phone with Keith, they don't realize Keith is the head honcho. So <laughs> you know. Any questions, any whatever that they have, Keith is going to be the one that's going to be able to answer it. And you, there, there's definitely a difference when you speak to somebody that actually has a lot of power and authority because, yeah, you feel like you can ask them whatever and they can actually get the answer for you versus being stuck in a hamster wheel of having to ask this person and being transferred to this department and all, all this nonsense. So, yeah, I, I think we're doing a great service, Joe. I agree. I think we're the modern day uh, heroes <laughs> in the in the shopping world. Fighting the good fight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is the last frontier of American shopping culture. <laughs> You're right though. I mean, I feel like it takes some people off guard when you like get a live English speaking human on the phone right away that can be super helpful, answer all their questions. They're just like taken aback because it's so unusual nowadays. And they didn't have to press five buttons go to three different departments to get there. You know, it's, it's definitely refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the good old days of going into 
you know, going into a store and dealing with the regular person. Yeah, I've, I've been trying to curate them, but I've got like 10 solid reviews on my homepage now. And pretty mm. much every single one of those review titles is I received great customer service, would buy from them again. Um, so that probably doesn't hurt just the trust factor when people are landing on your homepage. You know, the more you can sprinkle that in, the better off you'll, you'll be, I think. For sure. Yeah, I think actually uh, looking at your review, looking at your site now, you might want to display that review widget across the site. Mm. That's a good idea. I, I definitely should. We got Select Fitness. Says, yo, Bao Gang. He says, that exact match domain stuff got some power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess people are searching for Select Fitness USA. Jeff said, hey, guys, what's up? Any advice for fixing Google misrepresentation suspension? Not sure what caused this. Oh, boy. We just put out a uh, a lesson on, on how to how to start to address this using AI. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's no foolproof way to do it, but I think at this point we've identified the best practices. Maybe we'll make a public video on it. I don't know, to give back to the, the people. Yeah. Did you deal with this at all, Keith? Any suspensions? Never, never ran into it. No. Interesting. It's, it's, it's very arbitrary who uh, Google picks and chooses to suspend. But I mean, so... Jeff, I mean, there's Google, there's a Google ads misrepresentation suspension and there's Google Merchant Center misrepresentation. Google Merchant Center is much easier to fix and overcome. And it's a lot quicker. Google ads can be a bit different. So I'm not sure what you're going through. Um, hopefully it's just Google Merchant Center. But yeah, I mean, we do, we do talk about this a lot inside the course. If people want to Check out the course and the coaching program. They can go to buildassetsonline.com slash enroll. But yeah, um, usually misrepresentation, I mean, you got to just read what Google says about it. Like I said, whether it's Merchant Center or whether it's Google Ads. And a lot of times it has to do with what you have on your product page or sorry, just on your, on your website itself. Like maybe your forms, your privacy policies, your terms of service something is missing there um a lot of times that's really the big culprits so one piece of advice i can give here would be just to look at say your competitors and what they have is as far as um like what their footers look like and see if you're missing anything yeah. go into their their terms see if they have something you don't have and um that that's really yeah, I can say on that for now. Yeah, as you, to be clear, your competitors that are on Google Shopping, so you want to make sure that they yeah. are actually active on Google Shopping, and yeah, just compare those policy pages to yours and see if anything major is missing. I got the Merchant Center, Mister. Um, if you're in the course, and you can just message us if you're if you're still in the membership. So, but yeah, Joe just did put a. Uh, we put out a video, right? I don't think I, I just put it, I just put it in the discord. I don't know if I uploaded it yet. 
Okay. If it's Merchant Center, I have I have full confidence you'll get through it pretty quickly. Um, using what I just said. So, yeah. Uh, if you're in the membership, then it's in there. If not, then just shoot us an email. We made it, said someone I know that does retail arbitrage said that this business model doesn't work. I'm assuming dropshipping. I asked him how was the lines at Target and the post office. Uh -huh. <laughs> Keith, something I, I wanted to mention I think, um, you know, you described you were doing Kindle and it was okay and you, you made some money from that. I think people don't realize, Joe and I call this like a year, the year of failure. Sometimes it could be shorter, but like the people that we see have quicker success dropshipping have usually been engaging in some sort of uh, make money online activity before they find us. I think at least going through some reps, making your first dollar online, doing whatever, maybe it triggers something in their brain that it's just more real and therefore they take more action and they, they execute things better. But that's just, that's just what I found. So it's interesting to hear that, uh, you know, you, you did make money online elsewhere previously before diving into dropshipping. Yeah, there's probably a belief factor there. Yeah, I mean, because if you're just getting into it and you don't really, yeah, you don't you don't have an idea of, hey, I can get, I can actually make money online and you're just, you have that inkling of doubt in the back of your head that is going to impact how much action you take. It's going to impact how much effort you put in when you do certain things and it kind of uh, creates a snowball effect in one direction or the other. So Select Fitness asks, Keith, what are your revenue projections or goals for the next six months and or 12 months after that? Asking the tough ones there, Select Fitness. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'd be lying if I said that I had a revenue or goal or projection like written down anywhere. Maybe, maybe I should. Um, you know, the way I've looked at it is I'm just trying to get as you know, large a monthly revenue, um, average revenue per month that I can possibly get to. Um, but I should probably start looking at that a little bit more. I mean, I'm going to have to start looking at, you know, do I spend more money with Google ads? Is that the only way that I can grow? Um, I guess I've just been a little hesitant to do that right now, knowing the seasonality of the business. Um, so yeah, Good, good question. I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. For, for next season, though, I do feel like I can get to, uh, you know, 500K in a couple of months if I do things right. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, like, have a revenue projection when it's your first year of business. Yeah. Because you don't know what each season entails. I find you need at least – at least two years of, of running a business before you really know like, okay, this month, this is what we expect to happen. So, but. Yeah. And I've looked at like the Google search terms that I'm, you know, going after and there's, you know, it's like six months on six months off where that search traffic really kind of mm -hmm. dips down. Um, well, I'm just trying to keep that in mind and make sure that, 
I'm doubling down on my spends when the search traffic is highest and maybe scaling back a little bit when the search traffic is, is low. What, what you don't know, like, like what you just said, Mike, is, you know, you can still make money when search traffic is low, right? If there's traffic there, you just don't know what the buyer intent of that search traffic is in that time of year. So I just, yeah, I got to get some additional months under my belt to really figure it out. Yeah. And hopefully you can pad those other months with, you know, products that are seasonal in the opposite direction or just more steady throughout the year. Right. Yep. So that's certainly a goal. Keith, do you have any VAs? I do have one VA that uploads all of the new products for me. Found him on Fiverr. You know, he doesn't do regular work for me, but whenever I've got a new supplier or, you know, new products being released by suppliers, I just hit him up on WhatsApp and um, tell him what I need. And he, he knocks it out for me for a pretty reasonable price. Oh, nice. Straight to WhatsApp. Yep. <laughs> Waylon said, I think you thought he was from Texas because of Keith W. I thought he was from Texas. Well, I guess the not not the way he like the way he looks combined with the the clock, the wooden clock. <laughs> and then yeah, he's got a rusty feel. Yeah, 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 very rustic. Uh, like rustic there. And what is that? The the what is that called behind you? The farm doors? Barn doors. Barn doors, yeah. It's like Joanna Gaines, right? She's from Texas. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't I have do like Magnolia at home, if, if I'm being honest. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why you thought I'm from Texas. You don't have much of a, a New England accent either, though. I don't, no. I've, I've certainly been told that before. Yeah, it's interesting. You grow up and you don't – you didn't get the accent. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you why. No, no rhyme or reason, but uh, – Are you Are you in uh, Boston? In and around Boston my entire life, yeah. Oh, wow. A little west of Boston. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, even, even all New Englanders have a particular accent, Joe. I haven't interacted with too many, I guess. That's why you got to do more land stuff, Joe. Oh, I'm working on a mailer right now. That's honestly the best The best part of the land business is just hearing the different accents of people across the, the country. Mm. You don't even know what, what people have going on, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's really the story, Keith. So, we're at the 50-minute mark here. Joe, do you have any... Uh, Anything else you want to add? No, I'm just very impressed with every everything you've been able to do, especially how many do you have one kid now or two? Two. Two. Two kids, real job. That's great, man. That's always I'm always happy to see that. Cause then I then I kind of look at some of the people that have like that that give other excuses when they have more time. And uh, yeah, like I said, man, I, I, I was two hours a day when I got yeah. started and it was every day. But I mean, if you just are diligent about carving out that time and that time is going to be spent working on this and nothing else, like you're going to see results. Yeah. You know what I mean? Did you sacrifice other areas of your life when you were first getting started to, to get it done? Yeah. I mean, there's like no TV whatsoever during the week <laughs> oh no and no no video games you know yeah 
I mean, I was smack dab in the middle of uh, Breath of the Wild when I kicked this off, and I was like, ah, I can just go play right now. But <laughs> I put it off. Did you ever complete the game? I did. Okay, nice. So you can always get back to it. You can always get back to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. What do you feel like was the, the driving force in wanting to do the story? Because it seems like you have, you know, a, a job that's relatively reliable. You know, so, like, you know, I, how, what, what was the driving force? For me, you know, once you kind of get into this world and you're reading some books, you're seeing some videos, you're seeing guys like yourself that have left the corporate world and have been able to like sustain themselves and, and make a good living doing it in a way where you're not tied to a, a nine to five or a nine to six, or you're, you're not required to travel. Um, and your brain starts to believe that that's actually possible. I think that's what propelled me to just continue doing it because I, just thought that having a, a, a money machine that's working for you, whether you're working for it, was such a, a great life setup. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, I'd love to get to the point where, you know, I could get this store to, you know, replace my full-time income, have multiple stores that did that. Um, but you got to start somewhere, right? So I'm certainly mm -hmm. happy with, um, with how things have turned out so far. And we'll see where it goes. If nothing else, I mean, I, I, I learned a ton. And, you know, you can take those skills with you wherever you go. So um, it's been a good ride so far, that's for sure. So it was mainly just like, I mean, there, there is the, the money factor, right? Like, oh, being able to make a certain amount of money is appealing. But you were more driven towards like the lifestyle aspect of it. And that's because in my, in my opinion – to have kids, to have a job, and then to be able to come home at the end of the day and commit that time, you have to have some level of driving force, whether it's positive, like, hey, I want to make this amount of money, or negative, where like you hate your job so much that that's driving you to take action every day. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'm I'm unique. I mean, I it's not like I necessarily like needed the money to sustain the family's lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like it's nice to have the extra money. Um, but for me, it's just like, there's so much more leverage in this world than there is in the corporate world. And like, it's kind of like sky's the limit. There, there's no cap, right? Like you work for a fortune 500. Yeah. You can climb the ladder, but you're all, you know, like, you're in, you're in bands. Like those bands don't necessarily change. Um, and your time, you know, it requires 50 hours a week. So yeah. Yeah. I, if I calculate my per hourly income, it's like, I'm making more doing this per hour than I am corporately. Um, and that to me has really just been a driving force where I can just kind of have this money machine working for me as opposed to me working for it. Yeah. And is it some level of like, Oh, I see that these guys are doing it. Like there's gotta be something to this. I gotta, I gotta see it through. I think so. That type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we're, we're inspiring the, uh, the people Joe. You know, they see us here. Yeah, me too. 
with our 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 shitty setups and they're like listen if these guys could do it i could definitely do it <laughs> exactly i, I think yeah, that you guys definitely better. had an appeal where it was like like you just made it seem like it was doable you know and that's what drew me to you guys over anybody else i was like oh, i just i feel like i can trust these guys and that's proven yeah. to be true you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you see the flashy zoomer and it's like all right bro yeah is this real number one like there's no denying that this is real because what what are we what are we faking we're already in, in our parents basement there's no <laughs> <laughs> and we know there's i no mean we could fake an overhead low i like it not to mention hey. any names but we i mean it's been proven time and time again that there are zoomers that show flashy stuff but it's all fabricated exactly exactly you look at that stuff and you have to wonder if it's real and, and but it, in the same breath it does create some sort of psychological thing like i think people you know they look and they see somebody that's like doing flashy stuff and they're like oh i want to do that too so i'm going to follow you so on one end i wanted it hurts us because people will see our content they're like i don't want to be like these guys because they just <laughs> they look like losers but on the other end people are like oh, okay this this is real so you know there must be something to this it must be <laughs> legit in some way but you guys can start doing the, the one day lambo rentals to have in the back oh I, I know <laughs> we talked about that actually <laughs> we we're looking on turo anyway last question here i suppose Connor says, I might have missed this, but do you have both consumer and commercial clients? If so, is there anything you learned about accommodating both? Um, mostly consumers, but I have had some commercial clients who are buying on behalf of the consumers, if that makes sense. Uh, but the end user is always a consumer. Yeah, I mean, no, that, that definitely makes sense. Like, when we would sell, say, like tubs, it wouldn't just be the homeowner that'd be buying the tub. A lot of times, like the contractor could buy the tub. So that, that in my opinion, is B2B too. Yep. Um, yep. There was actually one time we were selling like vanities. And this is like one of our first bulk sales ever. We sold like eight vanities or something to some interior design company. And sometimes those sales are easier because like they know what they want. They have the money. There's not you know, the questions, the concerns, stuff like that. They're just like, Hey, we want this. Here you go. So there's, there's really not a, as big of a difference as people think that there is. So. Okay. All right. I guess let's call it there. Thank let's you. Call it folks. Build assets online.com slash enroll. Go there, see our coaching program, what it entails. If you fit, if you don't, Keith, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure Thanks, you man, got a lot of value out of it. So they could take it or leave it. But as always, <laughs> take it easy. Appreciate it.